What we're seeing mostly happening is where operators are expanding in the enterprise space, providing different services and solutions for enterprises, which I think is a very big part of the promise of 5G, of course, where we are trying to develop an industrial internet. And given the fact that we have in 5G, of course, we have shorter latency, but we can also tailor the network in the concept we call network slicing, where you have basically each service would have a virtual instance. Of the Welcome to another episode of Transmissions from Tomorrow, the show that gives you an inside route to the people driving the digital transformation of business and technology in the world of telecommunications. And I'm your host, Des Blanchfield. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Mats Johansson from Ericsson. How are you, Mats? Uh, I'm great. Thank you. Thanks Thank so much you. for making time to catch up with me. Now, Mats, your uh, your role is very interesting to describe, so I'm going to short form it, and you can correct me uh, if I get it wrong, but you're in solution marketing focused on network function virtualization, or NFV as we call it, including NFVI, orchestration, and you cover a whole range of stuff uh, across the whole of the 5G, 5G core, NFV. Um, maybe just give us a quick introduction to yourself and, and perhaps correct my uh, description of your role, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, I've been working in Ericsson for a long time. I'm, I'm from Stockholm, Sweden, uh, born here. Uh, I also studied at the Royal Institute of Technology, where I uh, have a master's degree in, in engineering, uh, computer science and, and telecoms. Besides a few years where I worked with the development of uh, alarm systems for Securitas, which is a big company in the security business. And I also had a few years where I worked in the medical devices technology, uh, developing artificial hearts in the middle of the 80s, uh, before, before I joined Ericsson, uh, early 1990. And, and of course, at that time, this was very exciting because the, the mobile phone industry was really in its infancy and starting to pick up. So, so that, that's, uh, uh, that's how I ended up in, in Ericsson. And, and then it's been a very interesting wow. uh, journey uh, so for, from there. <laughs> working, on, uh, working on artificial hearts would have uh, given you a good sense of working on real-time systems and things that really matter and, you know, a critical, uh, critical sort of five or six nines uh, uh, requirements that you've led into telco, I can imagine. From, from an academic background, what, uh, what saw you transition from, I guess, uh, you know, what might have been more of a health technology around to the telco technology space? Well, you could say, you could say I, I was interested in medical technologies. I mean, the education. So I, I, I took a, well, let's say I took a class in, into that. So I was, uh, I was also working a little bit in hospitals before I even joined the college. So I had an interest in, in, in the area of medicine, if you, if you like. Right. That, that that's so. So I I started up a little bit within that role, and I did some, where my exam work uh, was within pacemaker uh, division and, and doing some, some radio transmission for, for pacemaker going through the body where you can read out data, do settings, etc. Wow, so you're so, basically so, telco yeah. for the human body almost. Uh, well, you could say that a bit, it, yeah. Absolutely. So, so the, but I think my most of my education was more targeted to the type of industry I, where I have been in Ericsson. Uh, so, so I had more of that, uh, let's say, 
formal education in, in early on. Right, right. And how did you come? How did you come to transition from that into Ericsson? What was your entry into Ericsson like? Uh, I started in R and D with for base station development. So I've I've been working with all the G's. You could say this was one G. I like that. Uh, all the, the G's. Yeah. We can get a T-shirt <laughs> exactly. with that on it. <laughs> been there, done that, done, seen all the G's. <laughs> 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 so so yeah that 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 was fun um and and of course at that time this was the the big the nmt was the only system that had also international roaming you could go not just in the nordics but you could go to switzerland uh, there, there were a few countries that had this saudi arabia i think as well right so 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 that which was quite unique at the time the the uh, other analog systems were only uh, more domestic or national, or in the U.S. it was limited to certain states, etc. So it it was, it was a big and and the 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 one G you could say turned out to be like the platform for for two G as well. <clears throat> okay. So the people the the people who developed the the first generation system had already set a lot of the ground rules that then came to apply for for the GSM for the two G. So, and, so uh, you, you could say that by mid-80s, a lot of the fundamental things uh, that we now take for granted in our, in our mobile systems had been more or less decided. And, and, and so, so that was uh, like, for instance, that you could call from any, any mobile to any mobile. You could call from a mobile to a fixed phone, which was not, not obvious when, when they started out in the 70s. Because the use cases then was more like people were foreseeing that in a fleet management, you would call the truck driver and you probably knew roughly where this truck driver were. So uh, the, 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 those assumptions would have limited the system a lot if, if that would have been right. uh, too, too much to, of the design. So, so they, they had some foresight. They also anticipated uh, development of hardware such that you would have smaller and smaller devices going forward as well. So, so the, the, it was some clever people who started this. Journey. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, and I, you know, I, I remember. Um, I mean, Ericsson formalizing the uh, the three GPP uh, group, and then sort of inviting uh, you know partners and competitors, and and the industry as a whole to join it. But you know, one of my very first phones in in sort of the mobile form was, uh, I think, it was a very early Mitsubishi, and it was it was a, literally a brick. Uh, and and the only time I've seen anything slightly bigger was uh, the 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 original Ericsson radio phone that's inside the uh, studios there in Schuster. Um, and and they were almost just like overgrown walkie talkies. But uh, yeah, it was interesting to hear you say that. Like some of that early work, lay, uh, kind of mm-hmm. lay the groundwork for you know even some of the more modern uh, technologies that we're seeing now. Um, in in your role as it is currently, I mean, I'd love to get a bit more insight into your role as it currently stands because you've got yeah. a very broad brief. Um, but you know what what you're talking about with some of the the early standards and some of the the networking technology, I guess. You've you've seen it almost from from the you know, early days of, of sort of coming to fruition to now at the absolute bleeding edge of software defined infrastructure and network functional uh, network uh, function virtualization, um, and you know all the work that Ericsson's doing around uh, the cloud platform uh, uh, with you know the telco capability of, of you know sort of five nines I guess on OpenStack. Um, give us a bit more insight into kind of you know what your role encompasses and and, and maybe then we can sort of dive into some of the uh, NFE stuff you're doing. 
right. Uh, I think what, what my role now encompasses is uh, how we how we should take this development on. Uh, we have been talking about vir the virtualization of the telcos for five years, with SDN and FV started in. 2012, roughly speaking, uh, Etsy was very active, also driving this from the operator community that they wanted to avoid the vendor lock-in. They wanted to have something more agile. And, and, uh, and then we have been working on, on it since. However, it it's of course has been very challenging and we are still at the in a phase where uh, where most operators are in some kind of, of trial stages, you could say, or very early stages. And, and the, I think the, the challenge for the industry is now, how do you move from, from trials to, to real commercial operation at scale? And, and I think that's where I spend most of my time, how co convincing, uh, convincing the, the operator community that we are now seeing this come out and we are seeing that it can be done. I guess one of the challenges for the operators, though, is um, they've already got a very large sunk cost in, in, in the Gs, as you say, that they've gone sort of mm -hmm. through, you know, let's say 3G and then 4G, and, and now they're sort of facing the, the, the rollout of 5G. Um, the, the must, it must be an interesting challenge to have them sort of, you know, where they were like, well, okay, we've got another standard. Can we not just roll this out in the same way we do with 3 and 4G? But for them to then have to go through, I guess, what Ericsson's done recently, which is the, the almost reinvention of the organization and total digital transformation to shifting to become cloud native. And, uh, you know, there's a big difference between somebody just standing up racks of routers and switches and servers and storage to roll out a telco infrastructure to rolling out a, essentially a, cl a cloud-based capability with, with orchestration and DevOps and then get across the whole challenge of virtualization of all these core functions, particularly in the network component, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, it is. And you could say that the, the big difference here is that if you compare to the IT industry, who, who sort of gone through a lot of this already, they had the benefit of, of uh, two, two things. First of all, the, net, the utilization of the workloads weren't... Um, weren't that heavy, you could say. Most of the capacity on, on the on-prem equipment was quite low. I mean, they were not utilized or that, that heavy. Uh, so it was, of course, a big benefit for them to go to cloud. Right. Uh, and also most of these applications, uh, typical IT, IT applications, are not real-time. Whereas in the telco space, uh, we have the real-time requirements plus the fact that the, the, the equipment in telco is already optimized for uh, a utilization of, uh, like, say, 40%. Uh, and it's also uh, designed for a one-plus-one resiliency scheme such that if the one of the... the, the out of the two equipment that is doubled, one fails, the other one can take over and run at 80%. And and uh, and that needs to now be also catered for when we virtualize. How do we keep uh, resiliency up? How do we keep it uh, still uh, high performance at all times, uh, not jeopardizing any real-time requirements? And, and also, we cannot turn off operations. We cannot just turn off the internet for the weekend yeah. and, and, and do an upgrade and, and do an upgrade. So, so those challenges uh, is, is quite different in the telco space. That, that makes this hard. 
Absolutely. Uh, There's a big difference between uh, carrying voice and data uh, and, and I guess uh, short messaging uh, and, and, and uh, MMS than it is just to have a, a mail server uh, doing store and forward of email and attachments. And as you said, you know, people don't go home at uh, five o'clock on Friday and then let you have a two-day maintenance window to not make any phone calls, right? Um, but yeah. I guess that, that gives you opportunities and challenges, though, doesn't it? I mean, that's definitely – there's some certain challenges there. But um, it seems to me that a lot of the sunk costs that the telcos have now and, – and you mentioned the IT industry as, a, as an example um, to compare it against. And in the IT industry in general, when we looked at dedicated servers with lots of compute and storage and network and memory, putting a hypervisor on there of some form and, and putting virtual machines on gave us more use in the existing capacity – is it you talked about sort of an, uh, you know an optimization of forty percent per piece of infrastructure with the with the challenges that are that a lot of the carriers and operators are facing are there also opportunities for them to gain a longer shelf life and i guess more more performance from some of that infrastructure they've got sunk costs on or if they're investing in some of that infrastructure, is it fair to say that they're going to get a better bang for their buck in the long run that virtualization gives them a lot more agile and nimble capability to deploy more complex services and, and new services quickly? Uh, <clears throat> well, I think that that's an interesting question. I think we go uh, I think the answer is um, uh, let's put it like this the 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 old world was made for uh, uh, 40 years of, of lifetime of equipment, etc. It's a very hardware-centric paradigm where you would buy this hardware, it would last forever, and it would also uh, keep performance forever. And, and, and that was the design criteria, and it was expensive hardware. Now, I think we're going into where we talk of DevOps and changing and upgrading all the time. We're seeing this development in our phones already that it's not, it's not, nothing is future proof anymore. Uh, you are upgrading uh, hardware, uh, you're upgrading software uh, almost constantly. So you have to, and, that, and you also reach the point where in order to, to continue with this application, you need to upgrade your, your operating system. And, and, to upgrade, and at some point, you need to upgrade the hardware. So um, I'm not saying that, in, in, of course, in telco, we are, we are still protecting our investments. But I think we are gradually moving over to, to uh, something that is much more dynamic, where you upgrade hardware independently of, of software and, and where, where everything happens f- quicker and quicker. Right. That, that yeah. leads me so, to... So, 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 yeah. There's a related question to that. I mean, in, in the process of doing that, what sort of problems are you seeing some of the customers facing in that journey? I mean, there's a lot of big changes. I mean, it's cultural shift, there's behavioral shift, there's operational and functional shift. They've got a, you know, when you, when you talk about, uh, you know, 40-year lifespan, which you know, may shock a lot of people from the traditional business and IT space, but for telco, that's normal. But when they have to go to the mm-hmm. continuous development, continuous improvement mode, there's some very big challenges even just at the business level, surely that they've, you know, they've got to change cultural, behavioral uh, uh, shifts inside the organization to even come to grips with that. What sort of challenges or, or problems are you seeing um, out that the customers are facing that you're, you're helping them with on a, on a day-to-day basis as they start to look at deploying some of this capability? Yeah, I mean, we're helping them. Uh, you could say that a shift is, of course, how you operate uh, because today, uh, operationally, you have different domains where and different responsibility. You have 
one team that are responsible for radio uh, network and they will develop and develop that and maintain and upgrade in the, in the core networks you have for IMS uh, for instance you have one team you have for the packet core it's another team these teams have full vertical responsibility for software hardware etc and, and the maintenance and upgrade of that however now when we are going into virtualization we are trying to develop one single uh, platform which is uh, basically the nvi layer containing both the hardware uh, the the uh, the virtual infrastructure manager uh, the vim such as openstack uh, or, or vmware uh, and and then and then on top of that, you have also SDN capability as part of the uh, NFVI. That that has to be kept together, uh, plus also the management and, and of that platform itself, right. uh, cloud management, uh, uh, and also how you lifecycle manage that that part, both the hardware and 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 the VM and those parts. That that in itself is a challenge. It's not easy. And then on top of that comes all the applications. Uh, and and then you have also the OSS layer. So, what what the essentially what we're trying to do in, in the telco space is that we're moving from you could compare with in the old days we used to have two G phones, right? And in order to change the menu, you couldn't change the menus. You had to buy another phone. You have to change vendor uh, if you weren't happy. Uh, and now when we came to smartphones, of course, then you have a single platform which could be, if in the case of Android, yes, there are many hardware vendors, but it's the same Android, it's the same app store, it's the same look and feel. And you can change the app if you don't, if you want another set of menus, you just change the app. That That is what we are now trying to, to turn the uh, telco networks into, where you have a single, uh, 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 some kind of... Uh, components off the shelf uh, yeah. type of, of hardware uh, whether it's hp dell or ericsson and and then you have the vim layer which is compared with the android or the uh, ios and then comes uh, the the all the apps which now are the apps here in this case are firewalls virtual routers uh, uh, virtual packet core virtual ims uh, and and what have you and then and then you you need the app store which is essentially our oss and our dynamic orchestration solutions on top of that so so um, and 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 that of course imposes a challenge of how how do you now operate this they have solved it very nicely in the phone, such that you could you could change the the iOS uh, without changing the rest. You can also change the hardware, uh, or you could uh, of course very easily change the apps. We're used to just uh, upgrading the apps all the time. Yeah. Uh, and we want to come to a similar situation in the in the telecom networks, and and that is it is actually happening, even though it's uh, more challenging. But we are. Uh, in our labs, uh, we we are setting up uh, such that we have the entire environment. We have a big data center here in Stockholm, quite close. Uh, we have set all, up all the hardware. We have all, all the software is running as well, where we can test different versions and we can create virtual data centers called VPods, where we have different uh, and, and the different vpods could run different versions of the stack different versions uh, uh, of the 
uh, applications, etc. So there we could do different combinations. And, and of course, the nice thing now with the cloud is that we can gradually uh, we can start up new new uh, uh, vpods uh, have applications on there so migrate parts of the traffic onto that see that it works and then uh, gradually shift over all the traffic and this is one way that we can do now very quick uh, upgrades I like uh, that. Is, uh, I like that yeah, analogy yeah. with the with the phones and and your platform actually, because it kind of gives me this visual image that uh, you know we get we we made the transition to to smartphones very very seamlessly and we got used to the idea that there were effectively little computers in our hands that made phone calls, and these days I think most of us don't even think about our smartphones as a phone. We just think they're a, a little mobile computer that makes phone calls. I think that's a really great image for people to have when they think about the transition of the telco, and that is that once upon a time there was, you know, fixed infrastructure, as you said, that lasted for 40 years. But now we're talking about very fluid and dynamic, agile um, infrastructure that could be lent to anything. I mean, in the IT world, uh, I remember when virtualization came out, we got very excited because we could run business systems during the day, and then we could almost, you know, I guess, park those VMs during nighttime and then stand up uh, analytics and report running at nighttime and then run backups and then flip it again. What we're really hearing here from what you're saying, I think some of the key innovations you're working on now is that you've got a common capability either at the core data center or at the edge of the network. And you've got this ability to stand up whole new capabilities, new functions very quickly from the development environment to a lab environment into the data center, into the network. Um, you know, where do you see some of these innovations going? Do you see there being any shift around um, what the operators can do now where they um, almost transition from being just purely telco operators to, to a slightly different beast where um, in the same way that a smartphone now is really a computer that runs apps that makes phone calls, is there going to be a future where the operators uh, transition from being pure telcos that we consider them now with a killer app of voice to, to a slightly more broad uh, service provider that happens to make it possible to make phone calls but can do other things as well, given what you're doing with 5G and NFB and other technologies? Uh, yeah, I think, the, yes, I think the answer is yes. Uh, and, and I think the, what we're seeing mostly happening is, is where operators are expanding in the enterprise space, providing uh, different services and solutions for enterprises, which I think also is a very big part of the promise of 5G, uh, of course, where, where we are develop, trying to develop some uh, an industrial internet, if you like, where right. real, real industry applications can can run, uh, and uh, and given the fact that we have uh, in 5G, of course, we have shorter latency, but we can also we can tailor the network uh, in in the concept we call network slicing, where you have Basically, each service would have a virtual instance of the entire network, and 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 you could so so why do you need that? Well, you could say that to some degree we have already done that in terms of voice. Uh, voice has sort of gotten their own portion of the network, whereas data traffic is is another portion. However, it's at the moment it's a one size fits all. And it's very much tailored towards consumers. And then separately, you have also an SMS capability, which is yet another, you could say, slice of the network. What we are looking for in, in 5G is to have capability to slice it even more granularly. And the benefit of that is that 
you can have you can look at two extremes one is the very low end user like a sensor sitting there sending very very small amounts of data but there could be millions of them uh, could be uh, sensors in the streets measuring temperatures or or, or whatever uh, or could be in, in a large plant or factory and you would of course want that sensor to occupy as little resources as possible to make the business case fly and then the other extreme would be the very high end use case like the self-driving car, like the alarm system that would go off in a nuclear power plant and and, and start up an HD video camera of, of some critical event. Uh, and you would like that to happen uh, instantly, occupy uh, heavy loads of, uh, well, yeah. a lot of bandwidth for a short time. Or you could, of course, and then you could have the nightly backup service for two hours. I want 100 gigabit to back up my data center. So so that that is something we think we could do in 5G. But that in order to do that, we need to have this agile network that could be tailored uh, and software defined which is what NFE is all about, right. laying that foundation um, to, to have the network uh, given that, to give the capabilities of the network for that, um, which is, again, why, why NFE is uh, so important. Because if you don't lay that foundation, you will never be able to build on uh, the 5G, uh, the 5G, uh, the promise of 5G and the 5G network functions. No, I mean, you can't yeah. exactly have uh, a room full of people running around switching uh, Ethernet ports all day, can you? Um, actually, it's interesting, you, you mentioned a, a phrase there just to touch on when you talked about building the industrial Internet. I think that's going to be a sense of relief for a lot of people where, you know, there's a lot of concern that we're just throwing more and more stuff on the Internet. And, and when the Internet of Things uh, starts to hit the proper Internet, you know, we're, we're just going to break it and... I think it's fair to say that smartphones are pushing the limits of the internet as it is already. Um, so when we th when we throw out what will eventually be billions of sensors around the place uh, doing all kinds of things, you know, to have an industrial scale internet that's independent of sort of, you know, what we use for, uh, I guess, email and surfing the web is going to be a savior for the traditional internet. Now, I, I know um, that you've got a couple of exciting things around NFE uh, coming up and, and, and they were... Um, uh, announced at uh, an event that we were at recently uh, a couple of weeks ago in Nice at the uh, in France, the uh, TM Forum uh, Digital Transformation uh, event for the telco space. Uh, you've got a series of um, e-briefs coming out about uh, the whole topic of network function virtualization, uh, AK NFE. Uh, give us some insight on what's coming up with that. I think you mentioned there were about eight parts uh, coming out in sort of blog format. You're calling them e-briefs, um, and they range, I think, from sort of the the, the you know how to get started and, and how to implement it through to how to monetize it all the way through to solutions and management and and uh, software defined infrastructure uh, performance etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, what can you tell us about the uh, NFE uh, ebrief series yeah uh, th thank you for asking the question uh, because the, the I think what we're trying to say here is that uh, we're, we're trying to to let's say help the operator community moving forward because many of them have started at some to some to some degree uh, doing some trials they are investigating uh, we, we have already some 50 plus live networks however most of the networks are very small uh, running maybe with a single application on an appliance so 
I think what we're trying to say now is how do you move from your NFE trial to a more you know, full-fledged commercial operation? Because we have to be aware of that, as I mentioned, going into 5G, when you need to have more of these things in place. This transition of building up something that works in an NFE platform that really works is typically a process that will take two to three years to, to accomplish. Uh, and, and then you have to keep a good pace, uh, even, even so. So uh, the e-briefs the e we have written covers uh, at the beginning here eight different areas. Uh, first of all, how do, you, how do I start? Where, where do I begin? Uh, how, how, how can I you know, take this step by step? And, and where, where, should I, where should I start from? Uh, there are also some early adopters that you could, uh, you could study. We, we have been working with players like both AT&T and Verizon in, in the US. Uh, uh, in Europe, uh, we have worked with uh, uh, Telefonica and Swisscom, uh, Vodafone in Australia, uh, and, and Entity Docomo. So we, ha we have been working a lot with some of the lead customers that, are, that has been sort of that are pioneering this work and, and also building up large and complex systems. So, so there are experiences where, where we can draw from that. As an example, I could mention, for instance, Swisscom had gone from doing uh, one upgrade a year of the packet core now to do it four times in this more virtualized fashion, and while at the same time lowering their OPEX substantially with some 50-60%. Uh, just as, as a, an evidence of this, is, there are a lot of operational benefits that you can achieve uh, right at, at the start. Uh, also, also, many operators are buying hardware capacity ahead of time, uh, right. uh, like you know, in, no in November, and then they're waiting till next November before they do another uh, another upgrade, which means that they have unutilized capacity for for half of the year, and, right. and they are betting on what is going to be at the end of the year. So it becomes a bit more true. They're not really optimizing the 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 platform uh, the way they should. Uh, we will. We will. Therefore, we will talk about how do you migrate. Uh, what, what's the migration plan going to look like? Uh, we, we will. We will also get into. We have seen several challenges of how. How do you take this on? Because there is, of course, this gives a lot of flexibility. You can mix and match uh, uh, hardware, uh, VM layer, uh, apps, etc., as you want. However, we are still at a stage where this is tricky because not all combinations work very well. So we believe that still at this point, some of the pre-integrated solutions, uh, which is what we, we, I think that's one learning that we have seen, right. is a benefit at this point in order to get going. Uh, as, we, as we move forward later on, it will be easier to, to, to mix and match uh, all kinds of solutions and vendors. At the moment, not all combinations work, and we, we put a lot of work into verifying uh, combinations. The, 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 that, integration that, that really is, the integration must be a nightmare. I mean, it's bad enough in the IT industry getting different uh, components of hardware and virtualization working. Now, there's eight different parts of it. I actually made a note of them, so I think you've actually released three of these eBriefs from memory, though I think uh, eBrief uh, number one was... Um, uh, from NFV trial to commercialization, that was pretty neat. So it's kind of like a uh, an, an NFV 101, I sort of read it as. And then I think 
You mentioned the second one, which has already been published as well, and these are freely available. If anyone's looking for them and you're uh, tuned in, uh, just jump online to your favourite search engine and just uh, search for Ericsson uh, NFV uh, eBrief, one word, E-B-R-I-E-F. Um, and there's three of them already on the um, Ericsson Digital Services page. So I think number one is uh, from NFE Trial to Commercial um, Operation. Uh, my note here says the second one is um, Following the Early Adopters, which was actually quite a good read. I read that last night. And then the third one, uh, which I've yet to read, was um, the challenges around management orchestration, I think. Um, and I think it's titled Invest in NFV. So they're already out there. I imagine you've had some pretty good feedback on those so far from from both your existing customers and partners in the, the market at large. And there's another, uh, what is there, five to go? I think there's uh, uh, everything from uh, uh, considering uh, pre-integrated solutions and, and reducing risk. Uh, what are they? Software to find everything, going cloud native, how to secure uh, and, and focus on performance. And I think the last one was uh, developing your uh, migration plan. Um, you mentioned that there's uh, some more coming down the path as well, but uh, I think you've still got five to publish so far. What sort of feedback have you had from uh, folks so far that have read these? Uh, they, must, uh, they must be coming back with some good questions already around uh, what next? Yeah, I think it's, it's, been, it's been great feedback. Uh, I, I think there many are asking... You, you could say we get all kinds of questions in different areas, but I can imagine. for instance, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, for, for instance, uh, you know, how, how do I deal with uh, software-defined networking, uh, uh, etc.? Given, given the, what I have, uh, how, how can 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 I, uh, and and also how, how can I, how. Must I must I build a big data center, or can I can I rely on something smaller to begin with? Uh, that's a common question. When do I need to start? What I think that the you you can start uh, in a smaller scale, and then you can build out. But I, th- I think I think it's a, it's a, also something that the management and orchestration, the more full fledged, comes uh, as as a f- let's say a next step. Right. So we see many of the leading providers are now into that stage where they're looking into into buying uh, more full-fledged dynamic orchestration solutions, etc. So, so uh, yeah, you could say we get uh, it's, it's a lot of interest. I think there is a sense of urgency in the industry, and I could really feel that at Mobile World Congress, where where many operators who are now been trialing for a couple of years now they feel that. I remember talking with Ruben Merds, I think he is, the um, the lead architect for 5G at Swisscom. And uh, he, I actually had a great chance to interview him on camera. And he was pretty upfront about the fact that, uh, you know, the collaboration with Ericsson and Ericsson Digital Services, and particularly the Ericsson uh, Digital team working with the business support systems, BSS, they were investing heavily in, in going from sort of a development environment to lab, from lab to trials, because uh, they saw the clock ticking and um, and and uh, they'd you know, come to Ericsson not as an existing incumbent partner, but also someone who could help them lead the way. Uh, they were very upfront about the fact that they were looking to move early, be an early adopter. And I think the great thing I got out of the couple of uh, e-briefs I've read so far, and I'm sure it'll be the same for the next one I read t- tonight, I've downloaded the third one, was just as you said, you can start small. And that was definitely the message I got from Ruben Merz uh, from uh, Swisscom, uh, the, the 5G lead architect. They, they had started small, they'd uh, put it into their development teams, run up some trials, effectively done a minimum viable product type approach uh, in that sort of traditional fail and fail faster model we see in the in the i guess the startup world um 
And in many ways, I think he used a phrase, and, and don't quote me on this, but I think he used a phrase that they kind of behaved like a startup inside a, a large enterprise, Telco, uh, just to get some quick wins. Um, you must have a number of other uh, clients doing that with you as well. Are there any that really stand out that are um, uh, taking some of the innovations and capabilities you've got that you talk about in the e-briefs uh, and putting them into trials already out in the field? Uh well, I think Vodafone Hutchinson in Australia is another good example uh, who we are also working with and, and that have also come to a situation where they have something up and running, also that they have reorganized, uh, that they have an, one operational team that runs the, the, the platform, the NFVI, uh, and then that are serving sort of the customers, which are the application users, and that they have also develop the way of working going forward such that they could have quarterly coordination meetings and between those then the different teams can have their own faster DevOps cycles right and 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 so those are examples of how we have been able to help them to go forward in doing that and and I think though those are Swisscom and Vodafone Hutchinson in Australia are, are very good examples of operators who have been able to to move quickly, and they are also also in a f- bit favorable position because they are sort of they are not small, but they are not super big, and right. they are also they they are operating in in one one country. Um, that facilitates it a, a bit uh, yeah. compared to if you are the Telefonicas or. Uh, or, or even our AT&T that, that, that are, have very huge networks, and, and of course, it, 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 they have, they have other challenges as well, which is, <laughs> no, of, of course, course, adds on to this complexity. But yeah. they, are, they are, uh, of course, also advanced in the sense they have started early and that they have come. Uh, they, they have also made a lot of learnings as well. But they are also looking for something that is. Um, uh, looking for something quite big. In, in the case of Verizon, they are also helping uh, enterprises with their IT solutions, such that the enterprises can onboard uh, enterprise-related VNFs uh, onto 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 on onto their virtual CPEs, onto the CPEs on-prem right. supplied by Verizon, and 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 Verizon can can have them. Uh, log into a portal where they just order whatever they need uh, and and then that will be deployed by Verizon uh, who has an ecosystem of a lot of uh, things like salesforce.com or or whether it's uh, Microsoft applications or or Amazon related things as well. Well, that probably leads so, me so, to my, my next question for you. One of my favorite things yeah. I'd like to do uh, is uh, kind of uh, challenge folk to, um, if I hand you a virtual crystal ball, um, some of the things you're talking about with regard to future trends there, if you were to take a virtual crystal ball for me and, and just gaze into it for a moment, um, you know, where, do you, where do you see some of these next big trends coming up in the future over the next sort of three to five years? So you're talking about sort of, I guess, what it's self-service capability there and and the whole transformation uh, from pure telco to telco and enterprise and other uh, layers in between for for consumer and prosumer, uh, you know, where are the big trends coming uh, and, and what's over the horizon in the next three to five years in, in your view, given you're on the bleeding edge of this? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, it's, yeah, it's a good question. I, I think that that is... Um that lies in the uh, automation and and the zero touch. Uh, I think that that's uh, e- even even 
it, it may take a few more years than just three. But but anyway, I think that, that's where we're going, I think, to have an earthquake that is fully automated, such as you could just log in, you could order it on, order whatever services you would want online. Let's say that I, I'm the car manufacturer. I would like to have connected cars for, for various purposes to be able to have a short latency application that works globally. I could just log in to that, order it online, basically put it in the shopping basket. Uh, I know what I'm paying for. And then to have that fully deployed, fully automated, connected to my BSS, etc. That, that that would be uh, uh, some, something that I hope and think will come along in, in, in a few years' time. And you, managed, you, you mentioned Zero Touch there. I know um, uh, Ericsson's Consumer Labs team uh, re- uh, released a report recently, and I think they announced it at, uh, uh, in Nice a couple of weeks ago at um, TMF Digital um, around that whole concept of Zero Touch. I guess that's the, another massive trend coming along now where whether you're an enterprise or, a, or an end user, the ability to, to, to self-service uh, and activate on demand must be a big Thing we're seeing because everybody wants that celebrity experience they want to kind of you know just uh, do it themselves and they don't really want to get on the phone to do it they don't want to do it on a web page they just want to activate it through whatever their favorite channel is right mm-hmm. yeah absolutely plus of course that you would have also the network being more self-healing and uh, and also where you have machine learning and artificial intelligence into into it as well such that it becomes more uh, already aware of uh, the fact that we are reaching certain thresholds or, or certain things critical. Uh, we're reaching a level where, where certain components uh, might, might fail and, and, and take measures beforehand, things like that as well. Right. Which is, you could say, part of the zero touch, if you like, as well. Yeah, I think so, uh, yeah. And I'm sure we could do a whole show talking about uh, machine learning and artificial <laughs> intelligence and how it goes. But look, thank you so much for making time to give us some great insights into both yourself personally and your role, but also what you're doing around NFV and, and an outline of what's happening with the uh, e-briefs. Uh, and as I mentioned before, if anyone hasn't already seen them, uh, jump online and, and quickly search with your favorite search engine for uh, Ericsson NFV e-brief. And there's already three published so far. There's another five coming out of the eight. Really, really appreciate you making time to catch up with me today, and uh, and hopefully we'll have you in another show another time soon. Thank you so much, Des.